This is the Sales Development Podcast, powered by Tenbound, hosted by David Delaney. My name is James Bodden, here to introduce episode 203. Here is a fair warning that this episode is chock full of tactical, valuable, and useful information for any sales development professional listening. Get your notepads out. Get your iPads out. Whatever you use to take notes, you're going to need it because Chris Beal, CEO of Connect and Sell and legend in the sales development community, is joining us for episode 203. And David wastes zero time getting right to the value. David asks Chris to get tactical with SDRs listening in the audience by covering what SDRs should be focused on today if they want to see success. As the episode gets going at the nine minute mark, Chris covers the key things that SDRs can learn in order to shift their mindset and address the harsh realities of sales development and how to change the way that they look at things like cold calling and how that changes the conversations that they have, how that changes the way that they look at the entire profession. Amazing content here. At the 20 minute mark, Chris continues dropping jewels by honing in on the importance of tonality when delivering certain phrases to prospects. And he gets very specific about what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. So if you are an SDR that's making cold calls every day, this is a gold mine. At the 40 minute mark, David and Chris continue with the tactical advice on how to overcome those key objections that we all hear when cold calling. And again, this is a must listen section for all of you sales development professionals out there. At the 50 minute mark, Chris goes over the importance of having curiosity in cold conversations and how to tie in different types of questions, close-ended questions, open-ended questions, emotional questions that can deepen your connection with your prospects. Look, this episode is dedicated to the SDR, dedicated to the sales development profession because of the value that Chris Beal is bringing. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a rating. Head over to 10bound.com to see what we're up to. But for now, no more talking. Let's get right to it. Episode 203, Chris Beal, CEO of Connect and Sell. Enjoy. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I have the honor and privilege to have the next guest on the show. Chris Beal is the CEO and just generally the godfather of (laughs) Connect and Sell and of our industry. Incredible knowledge about everything that we're doing here in sales development. Chris, Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, David, it's awesome to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to dive in. I mean, you know, we've worked together on projects over the years and I've been following the trajectory of Connect and Sell. I've got so many questions for you. But before we dive in, sales development. What do sales development reps and the people doing the job need to know today? especially about what they're actually, you know, should be focused on in doing the job. Oh, sure. One of my favorite topics. Yeah. You know, sales development is interesting because it's been around forever, but we finally separated it out as something that could be a specialty, which is hugely important. And the output of sales development is two things done well. 
Thing number one is a flow of meetings with targets, with targeted people, targeted prospects. Right? I always call it the flow rate of meetings. So if I think of what's the output of sales development, it's X meetings per day is the output, but X meetings that are held, I call it the held flow rate. Those are the opportunities to have an AE, have a conversation with somebody in which they could end up moving forward to something else, whatever the something else happens to be, or disqualifying. So you're kind of getting to the choke point of the entire company for most companies. The choke point is right there in that flow rate of meetings. And if you were to ask yourself the question, if I doubled the flow rate, would I increase revenue? More meetings equal more revenue? Answer is always yes. For those of you who are not mathematically inclined and haven't read The Theory of Constraints by Eli Goldratt, I'll tell you what that means. What it means is that is the company's entire bottleneck. That is the constraint of the entire business. That is, if you increase the flow rate of X and it increases the output at the other end, that's your bottleneck. So it's the most important job in business because it controls the organic growth of any company is this flow rate of meetings. So the job of sales development is to manufacture meetings, essentially. So if you think about it that way, the product for sales development is the meeting. And the biggest mistake that sales development reps make is getting confused about that and A, believing the product is the company's product, whatever the end state is, like at Connect and Sell, that would be, oh, look, the system that lets a rep push a button and talk to people. But my sales development reps, that's not the product. The product is a meeting in which they will have a conversation with an expert and learn three things of incredible value to that person, not to their company, but to that person, even if they never do business with us. So thinking of it that way, it's a very different job than it tends to be kind of conceived of or taught or managed. So we tend to manage sales development as though you're selling the product in some kind of funny way, right? In the form of a meeting, but actually the meeting itself is the product. And that leads to the second thing that sales development reps could stand to improve, which is know your product. So attend those meetings, listen to those meetings. If I were to say there's one incredible thing you can get out of Chorus or Gong or ExecVision or you know any of those products that are out there, right? Refract is an opportunity for you, the sales development rep, the SDR, to listen to those meetings, not for whether they quote unquote work or not convert, but for what the prospect learns, because that's your product. So the prospect is going to learn one thing, hopefully, that's economic about time, risk, or money. And they're going to learn one thing, hopefully, that's about emotions, usually frustration. Business is full of frustration. And any opportunity for somebody to reduce frustration actually will increase the value of their company and their and certainly their situation, right? We're all frustrated. I bet Satya Nadella is probably frustrated at the end of every day. Probably feels like he doesn't have the time, the resources, and the support to do his job as well as he holds himself accountable for. We're all like that, right? And then there's strategy, like where are they trying to go? They'll learn something about possibilities of new ways, a new way maybe, of getting to where they're trying to go. That's strategy. That's what the meeting is about, is learning those things. You guys are experts. If you work for a company, your company consists of experts. Sellers are always experts. Buyers are always generalists. Always. I mean, otherwise, you wouldn't have the asymmetry between sellers and buyers, right? It'd all just be like, a big flea market out there somewhere. So the seller is the expert. And what can an expert provide other than access to their product? Expertise, knowledge. And that's what comes across in the meeting. 
So if you don't know your product, you haven't listened to those meetings critically with your own ear for what's important, which is why should somebody attend this meeting? How will it change their life? That's your product. And that's why I actually think that onboarding is done inside out. We teach sales development reps all sorts of stuff about the company and the product and the industry and the competition, blah, 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 blah. And what we really should do is just this, learn a script, get in conversations, and learn how to convert folks to meetings on the sincere belief that the meetings are good for them as a person, and listen to a bunch of meetings that are good, where somebody really learns something. Like if I were putting together an SDR program, onboarding, I'd go, let me take my five best meetings where somebody learned something surprising. And we'll listen to those first thing. Then I'm going to take a five sentence script, you know, and teach that SDR. This is why this works. You're starting in a cold call in an ambush situation. You have scared this other human being. You're an invisible stranger. Can you use that to manufacture trust in seven seconds? If so, you've achieved the purpose of your call. You're done. You win 100% of the time. There's no way to fail in cold calling. You can't fail unless you screw up the first seven seconds. Isn't that good to know? Now that you know that, you know you're going to be successful 100% of the time. Let's go for the cherry on top. Let's see if we can get him to agree to a meeting. Well, what does that take? Curiosity. Okay, so we're going to learn how to go from fear, their fear, not yours, to trust, to curiosity, to commitment. Then what? Lots of rescheduling. Why? People are busy. Get over it. Everybody get over it. Everybody get over whether somebody shows for a meeting or not. You don't control this. They will show or they won't show. You can remind them. You can do all manner of things. David, you and I had something on the schedule to report, record this podcast. Something came up for you. We had to move it. That's life. That's fine. Right? It's okay. So that's what I would do. And I do it actually. And I recommend it to folks. Is look, you got to bond with the new company you're with as a new SDR. Bond to the company through those prospects' response to your voice and the opportunity to learn rather than the three, four, five, six, seven weeks of sitting through videos and pretending that you understand the industry, the product, and a bunch of other stuff. Bond to your new employer through the response of the people that you're talking with. And guess what? You'll be producing output immediately. You know how early? Probably day two. Day two would be a good time to be setting meetings. I like day one, but many people kind of, I think they think they should be relaxing on day one. And the response. So learning through that response. Tell me about that. How do you learn through that response and the gong meetings and learn that process? Yeah, there's two areas you want to learn. One is what is the prospect learning from your experts, from your salespeople? Okay. I'm a sales development rep. I'm an SDR. What are my prospects learning when they come to this meeting? Well, I can be told that somebody can give me a schema, right? If you come to a connect and sell meeting, you will learn. You'll learn something about time, that you can have eight conversations in an hour instead of one. That's an interesting thing to learn because it could change your view of how you go to market. You'll learn something about emotions. Many people think this job of talking to people is like scary or weird or hard to do. But in fact, you can learn there's another emotion, which is the fun of having more conversations if you learn to master them. And then you learn something about strategy. You can dominate markets, any market, by starting with trust. And going from trust to curiosity, rather than starting with some notion of value and trying to go from value to a transaction. 
So it's a new way of thinking about things. And you'll learn that. My reps on day one, this is what they learn. In this meeting, somebody will learn these things. You want to listen to some of them? Yeah. Listen for those learnings because that's what you're selling. And then the other response is you learn something really simple as an SDR. You're afraid that when you're a bad thing, and you are a bad thing, by the way, when you cold call somebody, you're a bad thing. When they answer, when they don't answer, you're not a bad thing. You don't exist, right? So, but in a cold conversation, when somebody answers the phone by mistake and it's you, you are a bad thing to them. That's just the way life is. You are the invisible stranger. You showed up in their village at night and you weren't bringing them a Bud Light as far as they know. Because the last person who showed up in their village at night, invisible stranger, was bad. They came to do bad things. That's the history of our species. It goes back quite a little while, like, you know, maybe 100,000 years, maybe 500,000 years. So we're not comfortable with invisible strangers. We don't like them. We're afraid of them. And when we push a button or dial a phone or whatever and get somebody, we are that invisible stranger. It sounds terrible. We need to learn that that's fantastic. And we learn it through the voice response when we say the right kind of thing in those first seven seconds that allows somebody to know that we see the world through their eyes and that we're competent to solve a problem they have right now because we're the problem. Of course we can solve that problem. I can solve that problem that's me. I can go away. Very straightforward, right? We learn that not by being taught it by a teacher, although that's important to start with, but by hearing that other person's voice when we say it right. And once we hear that little chuckle, that go ahead, go ahead, Chris, that little thing. Oh yeah, 27 seconds, I'll give you 20. When we hear that, it goes inside of us and changes us. And we start to get comfortable with the discomfort. And being an SDR is like being a surgeon. You've got to get inside of somebody else to help them. You got to, in this case, you're not getting inside their body. You're getting inside their head. You got to get in their midbrain. You got to get in where the emotions are talking. That's how they're going to make a decision to take the meeting or not. So you got to get in there. Well, if you faint at the sight of blood, you ain't going to be much of a surgeon, right? The sight of blood here is the awkwardness of being the bad thing. You're holding up the scalpel. And, you know, it's one of those things that, it's awkward, but I tell new SDRs, this is for you career-wise. This doesn't have to do with sales. It has to do with business. If you're a young SDR and you have any ambition whatsoever to do anything in business, and I don't even care if like, say you're going to be a wood turner someday and you're going to have a lathe and you're going to make beautiful things. Well, somebody's got to sell them things at some point, right? So you're going to have to hold conversations with strangers and you're going to have to be good at it in business. That's all there is to it. This is an opportunity to master what I call the CEO's skill, to have a good conversation with a stranger where they're not prepared. And this is the best because they're not even agreeing to it. So you're going from nothing to something. Like the SDR job is finishing school for future CEOs. Interesting. Okay. The seven seconds. Seven seconds. I mean, by the way, the expertise here is like mind boggling. I just want to double click on like everything <laughs> that you're saying as you go along. But I'm curious about the seven seconds. So you have seven seconds from when they pick up to go from fear to trust. Are you still in that fear zone? No, you have to go from fear to trust and that's all you have. So I learned this from Chris Voss. Anybody who's watching this or listening to it who hasn't 
taken his master class or read the book Never Split the Difference or whatever, please do. Chris Voss had, I think, the hardest sales job in the world. Hostage negotiator sells 20-year jail sentences. Mm. Not an easy job, right? As an SDR, you get to sell a very nice meeting with one of your expert reps. Try selling a 20-year jail sentence to somebody that you're cold calling because that's how hostage negotiations start out. You are the negotiator. The other person is giving you a phone number. You call them. They answer. So I asked Chris Voss one night at dinner, and I was lucky enough to be seated with him. My friend Fallon Fatimi, at her company, she had a holiday party. I don't like holiday parties, but I went because I was going to get to sit at Chris Voss's table. So I flew to San Francisco and attended the holiday party, and he was as great as I thought he was going to be. He's funny, he's smart, he's interesting, and I cornered him. And I didn't really corner him because you don't corner FBI guys, but conceptually, I got close to him, right? And I asked him, Chris, how long do we have to get trust in a cold call? And he says, seven seconds, just like that. And I said, really? I said, our research says eight seconds. And he says, your research is wrong. It's seven seconds. I said, well, great. What do we have to do in those seven seconds to get trust in a cold call? He said, oh, that's easy. Nothing to it. I'm thinking, second bourbon or third? You know, what is going on inside this guy? And I said, well, you know, I waited and he said, it's easy. We do two things. One is we show this other person that we see the world through their eyes. We call it tactical empathy. And secondly, we demonstrate to them that we're competent to solve a problem they have right now. Now, I'm sure everybody listening to this is thinking, oh, their business problem, the one I was taught about in the onboarding, the five elements of the value proposition. Trust me, when somebody answers the phone and finds out it's you, not who they were hoping for, the problem is not the business problem. They have one problem. Their problem is getting off this phone call with their self-image intact. (laughs) That is their problem. The problem with that problem from your standpoint as the SDR is they want to get off the phone call. And so you are in goal conflict with them, right? They want one thing, you want another. The good news is they're human beings. They want to keep their self-image intact. So even my mother, and by the way, my mother is a very wonderful person, but she had a little bit of a hard edge to her. And she would look out in the desert and say, when I was 10 years old, hey, Chris, plenty of room in that desert to bury a child. I do believe if the coyotes didn't dig it up, nobody would know. Oh, man. So that was how my mother clarified my relationship to the universe. You know, it's kind of cold out there. You know, kind of get over yourself, kid. Right? I've treasured those lessons, actually. Not everybody likes that kind of upbringing, but it worked for me. But even my mom, who would slam the door in the face of every salesperson who ever came to our house, always would say, no, thank you. Why? Why say thank you if you're going to close the door in their face? Ah, to keep her own self-image as a polite person intact. Mm -hmm. So that constraint is universal. And that is the attachment point for a great cold call. Because you are the problem. When you cold call somebody, you are the problem. And that is great. If you were not the problem, you would be lost in a cold call. But since you are the problem, you know where to start. You start from they're afraid of you. You know your goal is to get trust. You know you need to do two things, according to Chris Voss, show the other person you see the world through their eyes, and then demonstrate to them that you're competent 
to solve a problem they have right now. Well, the problem they have right now is you. So you know you're competent. You can hang up the phone, right? Hey, bye. Sorry, I got you. But that's not your goal. So can you offer a solution to the problem that's within the scope of your goal, which is to have a conversation with them about potentially attending a meeting? Ah, now it gets easy. That's why he said it was easy. So you could say to somebody, I could say, David, you answer the phone and say, David, I know I'm an interruption. Mm, Solve number one. I'm telling you, I see the world through your eyes. I'm not saying I know that I'm interrupting your day. Your day doesn't have a problem. You have a problem and it's me. So I am a bad thing. So I throw myself under the bus. Any weakening of that statement in tone or words destroys the effect, has the opposite effect. I have a rep who will remain nameless, very senior rep, not an SDR. Everybody at Connect and Sell uses Connect and Sell because it's fun. It's fun to talk to people. Oh, yes, it makes money too, by the way. So this rep says this, I know I'm a bit of an interruption. This is like a big, rough, tough guy who would never say anything like that in his life. But he just, at the margin, he tries to make himself sound like a good guy instead of a bad guy at that point. And it totally destroys the effect. And he gets lots of busy callbacks. I know I'm a bit of an interruption. Is the opposite of, I know I'm an interruption. I know I'm an interruption. Hammering the words. No. No, I know. Because by the way, you know too. I'm not suspecting it. I'm not thinking it. I see the world through your eyes. Then I have to switch my voice. And when I did this for Chris, it was really funny because he mimicked me. He said, you switched your voice to what we in the FBI call playful and curious. I said, I didn't know you had names for voices. Actually, I did. Late night FM DJ voice. Who would ever forget that, right? And I've got a pretty good one. So when I want to run it, I can run that thing, right? That program, I can turn that program on anytime I want. David, we're going to calm down right now. And we're going to enjoy a moment. Let's just think for a second. What is it that's on your mind? See, late night FM DJ voice I can do. But playful curious, it's very tricky to go from hard, flat, throw yourself under the bus, self-indictment to playful curious. But you have to do it in a split second. So then you go, can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I called? Notice the little chuckle, the two ups, two up notes. You're basically saying, come along with me. But you're also saying, I am competent to solve the problem you have right now. Because I just said, I know what the problem is. It's me. It's me. I am the problem. Now they trust you. What percentage of the time will they trust you? 100. 100% of the time. So how can you fail in a cold call? Well, don't use the right words. There are other words, by the way. Some people go, oh, I don't like that. It's awkward. Of course it's awkward. Cutting into somebody's chest to save their life as a heart surgeon is awkward. Do it to somebody walking down the street. You will be arrested for mayhem. Do it to somebody where you're the surgeon, you know what to do, and you go in and you repair their heart. You are a hero to that person, their family, and their community. It's all in the context and the purpose. So you are doing something that to that person could be interpreted as painful, right? Interrupting them. You put them in a state of fear. How does it go again? There were two ups. Yes. It's like this. There's a, we call this the Donnie chuckle because Donnie Crawford invented the chuckle in here. It's just like, you have to actually like practice the chuckle. Can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I called? You know, the little chuckle at the beginning is very small. Can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I called? Your voice goes up twice. And it's remarkable that when done right, you experience 
this positivity because you did something that is helpful to somebody else, even though you were obliged by nature that you have to ambush them. And they're far away, by the way. You know, you don't have their luxury as an SDR walking up to people, right? Like old-fashioned sales and knock on the door, I walk in, that was the old cold call. That's one thing. This is harder. I've got to do this only through the ears, only into that person's midbrain. You have an advantage, by the way, your email that you send, got about 5,000 bits of information in it and will be ignored. This cold call has 20,000 bits a second of information, 140,000 bits in the first seven seconds. And it's all emotion. It all directly impacts this person's emotional centers and they have no choice. They can't turn it off. You know how when you're at a restaurant and it's an empty restaurant and the person at the next table is chewing in a horrible way that you just can't stand. And if you have to listen to them chew anymore, you're going to go mad. Can you turn it off in your head? No, you're stuck listening to that chewing, right? Words come into our ears. Sounds come into our ears. They are right in the middle of our brain. And then they're processed there emotionally, and we decide what we're going to do with it. We decide. I mean, our brain decides, right? We have no choice. So what we want to do is help this person go from a state of fear to a state of trust so that we can help them further see the wisdom of attending a meeting with somebody who's going to teach them something of great value to them, no matter what happens next. That's our purpose. That's our sincere purpose. That's why... My colleague, Cheryl Turner, can SDR for anybody in the world. She SDRs for folks just to show them. Commercial real estate, buying medical office buildings, boom, 30% conversion rate, day one. Right? Industrial air compressors, about what Cheryl knows exactly nothing, boom, 30% conversion, day one. The product is the meeting. Product is the meeting. And your sincere belief in the value of that meeting, potential value of that meeting, is your bedrock. Mm-hmm. And if they say, yes, okay. You have 27 seconds, go. Or there's some kind of positive response. Where do you take it from there? You take it to curiosity. Okay. So the emotional journey you want to take this person you're trying to help on is from their fear of you as the invisible stranger to trust. Then from trust to curiosity and curiosity to commitment. And the commitment's just verbal commitment. Curiosity. Okay. You've already won, right? You got trust. Now you can talk to them over and over. You can send them a follow-up email. They'll actually read the thing. They trust you. You've gone from no relationship to relationship. I highly advise don't ever send an email before a conversation. Always send an email after a conversation. Why? Because you're sending an email to somebody who trusts you. It's pretty simple. In the first case, you're sending an email to somebody you're actually like, they can ignore you and keep their self-image intact. When I delete your email, My self-image is not touched at all. I don't care what your subject line says. There's nothing you can put in a subject line that makes me feel bad about myself for saying, no, I'm going to prioritize my company's well-being over reading your email. It will never happen. And I get lots of emails, 1,200 a day. So some internal, some external, whatever. But when they come from somebody trying to interest me in something, sorry, but you can't get past my fiduciary emotional barrier, which is I feel like my time needs to be spent looking out for my company, my customers, my shareholders, the community, whatever, and not reading your email, which only has 500 bits of information, which isn't nearly enough to get me to trust you, right? Do it the other way around. Have the conversation first. Always send the immediate email. Use this subject line. 
thank you for our conversation today. Guess what? That email gets opened every time. Can you put some content in it that's of value? Yes. Should you start selling to them at this point? No, that'll blow the trust. Mm -hmm. So be of service to this person, provide them with something of value and leave it alone, right? But now you can follow up with them with the later conversation or whatever. But hey, it doesn't matter that we've won. Let's pour it on. Let's see if we can win by a thousand points. Let's see if we can get them to agree to a meeting. So how do we do that? Curiosity. Curiosity motivates human beings to do novel things. Mm, okay. Nothing else does except for raw fear might get you to do something like jump out of a second story window because the apartment's on fire, right? That might happen. Yeah. By the way, it takes a lot of raw fear. A lot. I know this. I'm an old rock climber, mountaineer. My background is associated with lots of raw fear. Right? Okay. And I have very rarely seen anybody, shall we say, appropriately motivated by fear, including fear of missing out. It's just unusual. But everybody's motivated by curiosity. Everybody, go to a party sometime and just do this. You're at the party. You're talking to somebody. And in mid-sentence, turn and look at the door. Okay. Heads will turn. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's curious. Why did David turn and look at the door? Right? Curiosity motivates novel behavior. Going to a meeting is novel behavior. They didn't have the meeting on their calendar. It's novel. It's new. So if you want someone to do something new, get them curious. So now, now comes the tricky part. Now, we're all taught by these marketing departments out there. We're often closely associated with SDRs because sometimes the SDRs report to them, or at least they're kind of, they get onboarded through messaging provided by marketing and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We're tempted by that marketing input and by our own instincts to talk about the value of the product that our company offers. And that has two problems. Problem number one is huge. You're insulting this person. Straight up, you're insulting them. You're implying that they were waiting for a salesperson to call them and tell them how to do their job, what to pay attention to. Most people think of themselves as competent, diligent, you know, pretty good, right? 90% of all people think that they're in the top 50%. <laughs> right? So yep. that's actually Human a nature. pretty close to being true number. So when you call somebody up and say, you know, David, connect and sell, you know, we provide a dialing system that blah, blah, blah. So you're going to go, I'm a competent guy. I have a dialing system already. If I needed one, I'd have one, right? Are you telling me that I'm so out of it that I don't know that I need a dialing system? Or if I need one, that I need one. I either don't or I do. But I'm going to tell you this. My name is David. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Thanks, Chris. In a very relieved and polite voice, we're set. We're all set. That's what I'm going to say. Everybody has heard this objection. Yeah. This objection only shows up when you make the mistake of telling them the category of your product offering. Your product offering, by the way, is not the product offering. You're trying to sell them a meeting. The meeting. So get over it. Don't talk about the product directly. Talk about it in a way that allows them to be curious and then stay ambiguous. This takes a lot of courage, by the way. So here's ours. Ours is really simple. Mm -hmm. Well, let's do the whole thing. We'll do the entire thing. We'll role play it, right? So you answer the phone and we say, hey, David, Chris here from Connect and Sell. David, I know I'm an interruption. 27 seconds, tell you why I called. Sure. Thank you. Thanks, David. David, I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates the waste and the frustration 
that keeps your best sales reps from being effective on the phone or even using the phone at all. And the reason I reached out to you is to get 15 minutes on your calendar to share this breakthrough with you. Do you happen to have your calendar available? No, I'm done at that point, by the way. I'm done. It's not very hard to learn, but it's hard to get the why underneath it. So why do I say thank you, David, because you're going to listen again. Every time I say your name and I'm only going to do it at the beginning, you're going to repay attention to me just a little tiny bit. I'm already losing you, right? (laughs) So you're going to pay that a little attention. Then I'm going to say something rather shocking. I'm going to tell you what I believe, what I believe personally. I believe the hammer on the word I. And then a very soft, I believe, discovered a breakthrough and then a hammer on the breakthrough. Why do I say we've discovered instead of we're the best, we do this, whatever? Well, I have to avoid the second error, which is talking about how great we are. Because if I talk about how great we are, you're going to psychologically react and say, no, you're not. And then we're in the third grade playground. My daddy's smarter than your daddy. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. This is not a good place in sales. Don't, in third grade. don't go that. You know the third grade playground. This is it, right? So we have to stay away from triggering the third grade playground. So we need to say something that evokes curiosity without saying we're great. The word discovered is wonderful because it says we're lucky. We're lucky and people like lucky people. They just do. I used to be a card counter. I lived in Las Vegas and I took money from casinos to banks. You'd think that's a pretty boring job, right? But everybody thought I was really cool and fun. Why? Because I was obviously lucky. I had big piles of chips in front of me. Mm -hmm. They didn't know anything about my personality, whether I was a nice guy or not a nice guy. People like lucky people. They're attracted to them. People are attracted to luck because they think it'll quote unquote rub off on them. This is a very primitive emotion, but it's pretty universal. I believe we've discovered, discovered, but why we? Why did I say I in the first place? Well, I've got to get your attention with something that truly is sincere, right? This is a sincere thing to say, I believe. But then we, nobody knows who we are. And people are very curious about people. And we're trying to get curiosity. So here's an example of curiosity. You won't believe this, David. You will not believe this. There are people in the United States of America who are American citizens who have an interest in the goings-on of the British royal family. Doesn't that seem odd? And we broke off with those folks back in 1776. It's been, what, 250 years, roughly speaking. And yet, when Prince so-and-so or Princess whatever or the Archduke of this or that does something, everybody's like, whoa, what's going to happen next, right? Because people are just plain old curious about people. It's like a deep human thing. Well, we as that ambiguous set of people, you can be curious. You don't know who we are. I believe we've discovered a breakthrough. Now, why a breakthrough? I've had reps say to me, oh, we don't have a breakthrough. And I said, great, you know, shut the business down. Yeah. Or at least quit and go to work for somebody who does. I mean, what do you mean? Are you saying that when somebody successfully uses your offering, when it works perfectly, when everything is fantastic, when the, the budget is there, the timing is there, the need is there, the integration works perfectly, customer success does a great job, it doesn't change anybody's life. It doesn't do anything. Like, why do they buy it? The point, yeah. Yeah. So everybody's got a breakthrough. So get over it. If you are 25 years old and you think your company doesn't have a breakthrough, talk to me. I'll tell you what your breakthrough is. Because every company has a breakthrough. Every company has breakthrough offerings or you're not in business. So 
Why a breakthrough? Well, we need to talk about something to get somebody curious. But first, we need a form for the conversation. And the only form that works for humans is a story. So we got to tell a story, but who's the hero of the story? Aha, our breakthrough. Our breakthrough is going to go on a hero's journey and it's going to slay a dragon. Now, how many heads should a dragon have? Always three. Everybody knows fighting a three-headed dragon is impressive. Fighting a one-headed dragon, yeah, you could get lucky in two heads. I don't know. I mean, to distract one and get the other, but a three-headed dragon is a problem. So we're going to go have our breakthrough, go fight a three-headed dragon. And one of the heads is going to be economics, time, risk, money. One of them is going to be emotions. My fave is frustration. One of them is going to be strategy. It's going to be a little thing about where somebody like them might be trying to go where they're blocked because we could help them get unblocked and get to where they're trying to go. That's, by the way, if you're curious about strategy, strategy is a list of steps that can get you somewhere where each step reduces the cost and risk of the next step. Now you've We've got Chris Beal's entire course on strategy. That's my master class on strategy. We are done now on strategy, right? So there we go. So what goes into one of these scripts? Well, what's most important is what doesn't go in. So let me do ours. I'll do it again. And notice what's not in here. David, I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates the waste and the frustration that keeps your best sales reps from being effective on the phone or even using the phone at all. Now, did I say what Connect and Sell provides? No. Nope. Did I tell you that it had anything to do with dialing and navigating phone systems so that we can deliver conversations with decision makers on your list? Did I talk about how it integrates with Salesforce and outreach and sales loft and blah, blah, blah? I didn't say any of those things. I said one economic thing. Okay, what does our breakthrough do? Head number one of Dragon. Huh. I believe. We've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates the waste. Waste is an economic concept. And frustration. frustration. Obviously, there's frustration associated with something here. You're waiting to find out what it is. You're not going to find out. It keeps your best sales reps. Ooh, those are important people. My strategy depends on the performance of my best reps. By the way, this is wildly true, right? If your best rep quits on you on day one of the fiscal year, it will cost you their full quota in order to replace them. A rep with a million-dollar quota will cost you a million dollars if they quit on day one of the fiscal year. So it's a big deal. It's strategy, right? Because your top reps are very, very important to you. Your top SDRs are probably more important because they control the flow rate of meetings, which determines the growth of your company. I mean, you don't ever want to lose your top SDR, right? That's craziness. So... Huh, that's strategy. Now, notice I also used my voice. I didn't say it in an eager way, but I said it in a little bit of a it's sincere, like the waste and the frustration. Like you can hear the frustration in my voice. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Learn to use your voice when you're telling a story. Storytelling has more to do with the voice than it does with the words, but you've got to get the words dead right. I know that sounds funny. But if you screw around with the words, your voice doesn't have anything to stand on. The script is your surfboard. Your voice is the surfer. Your voice brings the artistry. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, throughout it, you could tell that there's just been 
so much study and practice going into each part of this thing that only takes a few seconds to do, but every little part of it is thought through in order to get to the result. And if you get a negative result, I mean, if there's a negative result of the conversation where they just don't get it and they blow you off, I mean, well, if they hang up, then that's your next step is to go to the next one. But if they say no or something like that, how do you work with that? Well, first, when they say no, you ask them what they said no to. Okay. I mean, that's a legitimate question, right? No to what? No, I don't have my calendar available. Notice I didn't ask them to set a meeting. I didn't ask them to go to work for me. I asked a question of fact. Do you happen to have your calendar available? Notice the importance of the word happen. It's luck. We're lucky if you have your calendar available. Amazing. Mutual luck. If not, if somebody says like Cheryl once had a CEO putting gas into his car, apparently there's, here's what he said. I've listened to the recording. Cheryl, I'm standing in a rainstorm. It's cold. I'm putting gas in my car. Of course, I don't have my calendar available. Here's what she said. Fantastic. Tell you what, I'm a morning person. I'll shoot you something for next Thursday. We'll move it around if we have to. Mm-hmm. Got the meeting with a CEO of a very important company. Turned into a deal, which I liked a lot. <laughs> so there was enough curiosity for him or her to get back to their desk, get the calendar invite and say, let's do it. Yeah, or use the modern fact, which is calendar invites go in your calendar, whether you accept them or not. Mm-hmm. The default behavior of a calendar invite is to go in your calendar. Right? Right. It takes work to take the damn thing off. Mm-hmm. So say they do want to move it around, fine. But you know, senior people work off their calendars, not off their previous commitments. That is, the commitments could come from somewhere else. I don't know if everybody knows this. But senior executives have other people just putting stuff on their calendars all day long. It's just what happens. That's why you have a modern, you know, digital calendar. Somebody goes in and says, hey, I put something on your calendar for 8.30 on Thursday. Great. It's presumed that that's legit. Now, if they look at it, they go, I can't remember. Who is this Cheryl Turner? They'll show up. They'll show up anyway. Because they'll wonder, like, I can't remember this, Right. So the fact is, we call this the insistence clause. You're going to have management as an SDR that tells you you're not allowed to do this. And maybe you're not. And I'm not telling you to go against what your management says to do. But I am saying if you want to close at a 30% rate and you care about business outcomes, pay attention to two things. Get the curiosity level high. Set the meeting no matter what. Send them the invite. Get a verbal. Send them the invite. Yes, If they say they have their calendar available, calendar it, right? They're going to no-show anyway a bunch of times because busy people no-show. The more senior they are, the less they no-show. That's just a fact. CEOs don't no-show very much. They don't. You don't become a CEO if you no-show a lot of meetings. You just don't. It's not a path to getting there, right? There's a winnowing that occurs as you go up in organizations, and it winnows away the people who no-show on meetings. Mid-level managers, they know show a lot because they always have an excuse. I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Something came up. I'm fighting fires, right? Up in the upper reaches of companies, we don't fight fires. Not if we're any good. We're doing light fires. Yeah, we light fires. (laughs) (laughs) We don't fight fires. So, So, okay. I'm curious. That meeting, what's the content of that meeting? But go ahead. Oh, yeah. We can jump to the content of a discovery meeting is really, really simple. 
-hmm. you need to establish a connection with the person at the beginning. So we can do discovery here and I can do it in three minutes. And then if you ever want to do one on discovery, and by the way, I think SDRs should practice doing discovery meetings. Yeah. It seems like they should. it's the next thing to do. So yes. it's like career progression from being an SDR to a non-SDR to an AE or whatever should go through being the discovery meeting holder. Because after all, it's really easy to set the meeting. I'm a morning person. By the way, why do I say I'm a morning person? Because I'm being transparent and vulnerable. I'm saying I'm not perfect at all other times a day. I'm imperfect. It's nice, right? I'm a person. I'm a morning person. How's your Thursday? That's a great question to ask. We have actually made the transition at that point from if to when. All of sales is a series of transitions from if to when. Sales is like you're climbing a ladder and the rungs are made out of like ifs when you have your hands on them and whens when they have you have your feet on them. You know, you go from if to when. If we're going to do something together, to when are we going to do it together? That's the essence of sales. That's the walking rhythm of sales. If, when, if, when. All of us who've been selling for a long time know, when I say this to people, you go, yeah, that is how it actually works. It's like, yes, that's how it works, right? So now we're into when mode and we're in the meeting. So here's how I run discovery meetings. People will think this is weird. It's okay to think it's weird because I do okay. So pity me, think I'm strange, but here's what I say. I would say at the beginning of a discovery meeting, on Zoom especially, but even on a phone. Hey, David, really helps me to kind of picture where somebody is. I don't know. It's just a weird thing with me. Where are you right now on the face of our blue whirling planet? <laughs> That's my opening question. That's a good way to start, yeah. And what does it do? It gives you an image of both of us together. You have that blue whirling planet image, Earth hanging in space. So we're together. So we're connected. Because I know your emotional state is apprehension. You're afraid I'm going to sell to you. So the first thing I must not do is sell to you. So I'm not going to sell to you. So what am I going to do? I'm going to ask you a question about yourself. And I'm trying to take you from the emotion of apprehension to the emotion of pride of place. I want you to be proud. Pride supplants apprehension 100% of the time. We can only experience one emotion at a time. And the most effective emotion for eliminating apprehension is pride. We feel stronger when we're proud and we're less apprehensive. So that's my first step in the emotional journey in a discovery. My second step is I want to transfer pride of place because everybody's proud of where they live and where they are to pride of mission. Everybody's also proud of what they do. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it every day. So now I want to get close to the why of business problems, business challenges, right? But first, I have to establish the why. Why would you do anything in the first place? So I ask this question. I say, so you tell me about where you are. And I make some connection to it. I've never been there. That's a good connection. I've always wanted to go there. That's a good connection. My sister lives near there. And she says when she goes into town, she really likes X. That's a good connection. Whatever. Just make a little connection to where they are, right? They may ask you where you are. Tell your story briefly and with pride about how happy you are to be where you are. Well, right now I'm in West Seattle and I actually live here with my fiance. And you know, one of the things I really love is that view right there. It just, yeah, last night I was having dinner, looking over at the city, missing the cruise ship, but still it was fantastic. So then I would ask, so, so David, I go to your website. 
I check it out. I do this. I always go to people's websites, companies' websites, and I always think I understand what they're really doing. And 100% of the time, I'm wrong. 100% of the time, I don't quite get it. So tell me, when everything works out, when everything works out, it's the perfect customer. It's the perfect offering that you have. It's the perfect timing. It's budget is there. And when everything works perfectly, how does your product change that person's life? Mm. So now they get to talk about pride of mission. And people think that's a silly question. I guarantee you every serious business person I've ever talked to answers that question immediately. And if they feel better because they're being reminded of why they do what they do. Simon Sinek says, start with why. You can't start with why just by going, why, why, why? You know, that's like, like four-year-olds ask why, why, why? And you get tired of it after a while, right? But don't be a four-year-old. But it gives them a chance to tell you their why. And now we're really, we've actually gotten quite deep in discovery because we know what this person, and we only have one person in front of us, we're there together with them. We're now together on the blue whirling planet, right? We are both proud of where we live. We chose those places. And now there's pride of mission. And now we know business problems are all in the context of keeping them from being able to accomplish that changing of somebody's life. So now they're serious. Wow. Okay. And we can start to get into business challenges at that point on the initial discovery call that they're facing. Yeah. If somebody tells me whatever and I say, so as I think about that, part of it makes sense to me, but a question, like, you know, I do this as connect and sell question. Is it important in that process way at the very beginning to have an actual conversation with that person in order to establish a, a relationship, a trust relationship? Or is this something that kind of can happen through other means where they're kind of coming to you and it's pretty straightforward because they already know what they want? They'll almost always say, no, 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 super important. You know, whatever they're going to say, right? Now we're doing discovery. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking for a yes or no question. It sounds like a closed-ended question, but it's not a closed-ended question because nobody's going to answer it with a yes or a no because of the setup. The setup is in the context of helping somebody's life with your offering. So now I can tie those things together. And then I can ask a, an emotional question. So when that doesn't work, you know, everything in life gets blocked, right? So why is it it doesn't work? Like you get stuck, you know, it's pretty, is it frustrating for your reps, for instance, not to be able to X? Whatever it is, now I've gotten to an emotion. And then there's a question of, okay, so from just the beginning, it seems to me in your business, and again, I might get this completely wrong, that you're competing with other companies that could come in late and like snipe a deal or what, you know, it's whatever it is, right? What happens there? And then they go on and it's like, now we've done discovery. We're done. They've learned three things. I've learned a bunch of things. We've accomplished the goal. And then the only question is, did we learn enough of certain kinds of things that would indicate that we should take a next step together? And if so, when? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you have it, folks. I mean, you know, it's, (laughs) you know, several years, I won't go into how many, of wisdom, study, <laughs> research, I'm seriously, into every second of the process served to you here in the Sales Development Podcast, tell your friends, at no cost. I mean, this is a PhD plus in business development education with Chris Beal, who is the professor. It's amazing. 
Chris. How can we get in touch with you to continue this? And I want to continue on part two of the podcast. Well, let's see. How can people contact you? At some point, I don't know whether this year I'll do it. I'd love to come and be on stage at your incredible conference because I think it's the most important conference in sales. So someday I'll have to figure out how to do that. Maybe I have to, I don't know what, you know, pet your dog or something. (laughs) Oh my God. I didn't think I could like you even more. But that would be a different thing. But it would be really fun to have. I love that audience. And, you know, this stuff to me, sales development is... Literally, I have a podcast episode of my own that says, how many SDRs does it take to change a light bulb or something like that? But the point of that particular episode is to point out that sales development function addresses the bottleneck of the innovation economy. It is the job that changes everything. Because when innovations are trapped on the wrong side of the chasm and they don't get over to Main Street, they'll lose out. I mean, without the innovation economy, we're sitting in caves, we're eating bugs. It's just not that great. I mean, maybe some people want to sit in caves and eat bugs. I'd rather get on cruise ships or whatever. (laughs) Have a nice Pinot Noir. So all of those are innovations ever since the Clovis spear point, ever since fire, we've been in the innovation economy. And sales development is what allows that value to flow from the innovators to us consumers. You can kind of get into my thinking about it if you care to by going and checking out the Market Dominance Guys podcast, marketdominanceguys.com. Some people like it. Some people think it's crazy, but it's basically what I've just been talking about here, step by step by step by step. And then we have guests who say, yeah, right, (laughs) or whatever, you know, (laughs) because we got pretty good guests. And then I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I'll put the link to Connect and Sell and Market Dominance Guys. Yeah. Then if you really want to get it, if you really want to get it, figure out how to take a test drive of Connect and Sell, not because I'm trying to sell you a product, but because the experience of driving the Ferrari, this is what I compare it to. One time I had the opportunity of jumping into a gun, jumping and sitting very carefully and politely and nervously in a Ferrari 455 and taking it out on a Formula One course with an instructor who yelled at me a lot. And he didn't yell at me enough because I almost spun out and turned two, but he yelled at me a lot. You can experience the equivalent of that in sales development. Connect and sell is very, very fast. It's very, very scary. And when you get into it after about 20, 30 minutes, you go, oh, that's interesting. Because it's a funny feeling just to get to talk to people at will. No effort, just talking to people. And we offer this thing called a free intensive test drive. And while we don't generally let an SDR just say, yeah, I want to do one, you know, it's free. And it's fun and it's fast and it's furious and you'll learn a lot. And if you can convince your boss, you know, hey, let's do this. We'll do them with little teams. We do them with big teams. And it's always an eye opener. That's really the best way to get to the bottom of this. Because let's face it, everything I said is predicated on one thing. You have a conversation with somebody who's a target. Mm, Not easy to get. That's what you do. And I've been through them. They're amazing. You've got to check it out. So Chris, this is part one. We're going to do part two. Get that going because I feel like I just scratched the surface and now it's, you know, we're up against it. So thank you for coming on the show. And we'll be sure to put those links in the comments so that people can follow up with you because, oh my God, this is, this is intense. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the Sales Development Podcast. Thanks, David. It was tremendous. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast. The only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. 
Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.